The rapture could occur at any moment without warning. Do you feel the urgency, wondering what to do in the meantime? The Apostle Paul felt it too. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares Paul's advice to believers, guidance on how to live as you eagerly await the day of Christ's return for His church. From The Great Disappearance, here's David to introduce Live Like You Were Dying. Well, this is one of my favorite messages in this series because it tells us that if we believe in heaven and if we believe in the rapture, it makes a total difference in how we live. And uh, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to teach as well, Romans thirteen eleven to 14. And the title of the message, Live Like You Were Dying, well, that comes from a book. I'll tell you about the book in a few moments when we get into the message. But what would happen if we knew, for instance, let's just say that we knew for sure Jesus was coming two weeks from today. How would that change the way we live our days? How would that change the way we use our time? As many of you know, I spent some time in a rehab center recently. While I was in there, I realized how much time is wasted, for instance, watching television. I decided I'm going to watch it. I'm going to just watch the Chargers football game, and that's it. And that's what I did. So much is able to be done when you see the value of time. And this message from uh, Paul to the Romans at the end of his book about living life in light of the return of Christ is very powerful. Let's learn how to live like we were dying. And when we do, we really come alive. If you don't have this book that we've just finished, The Great Disappearance, we would love for you to have it. We'll make it available to you for a gift of any size. All you have to do is say, Dr. Jeremiah, I want to help you with getting this radio message out. Here's my gift, and uh, please send me your new book. We'll do it. We have them stored in Atlanta and in California. So wherever you live, we can be as close to you as possible and get the product to you as soon as possible. And we're shipping out thousands of these books every day. So get in the list, get yours, get it before it's too late to enjoy it during the series and ask for it today when you send your gift to Turning Point. Here's part one of Live Like You Were Dying. Live Like You Were Dying. That was the title of a Tim McGraw hit song several years back. The lyrics spoke of loving deeper and speaking sweeter and giving forgiveness once denied. And the final thought in the song went like this. Someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. About the same time as that song was released, Carnegie Mellon University professor Randy Pausch was invited to be a speaker in an ongoing series asking thoughtful lecturers to assume they were giving their last presentation, to lecture as if they were dying. It turned out this was really the case with Pausch, who became a victim of pancreatic cancer at 47 years of age, and he delivered an unforgettable talk that became a book with more than 10 million copies sold one of the top New York Times bestsellers. The book was called The Last Lecture, How to Live Like You Were Dying. The country singer and the university professor hit a common chord, the importance of living on purpose, the importance of moving through life with a sense of urgency based on something higher than the pursuit of pleasure. 
If ever there was a time for the church of God and the people of Christ to catch this sense of urgency, that time is now. As I have prepared and written this book, as I've studied and sat in the same chair in my living room for hours reading and writing, the one thing that came to me more than anything else was the realization that we're living on borrowed time, that we better do whatever it is we think we want to do because surely the Lord is coming soon. In Romans 13, 11 through 14, there is a signature passage. Paul wrote at the end of the book of Romans, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Using terse, blunt words, Paul offered four keys to help us live our lives in this time with urgency and not to get caught up in the seductiveness of our generation, but remain close to Christ, walking with him. Let me give you those four things. First of all, he says, watch vigilantly, Romans 13, 11. And do this, he said, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you read that in the Bible, you would discover that there are Five references to time in just that one verse. Knowing the time, now is the high time. Our salvation is nearer. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It has always been important to understand the times. The Bible tells us we should be interested in what's going on. We should look forward to what the Bible says is going to happen. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there were a group of people who existed for the specific purpose of discerning the times on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the people who were assigned this task were the sons of Issachar. And they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. First Chronicles twelve thirty-two. When you get to the New Testament, you hear the Lord Jesus scolding his critics. And he says to them, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. Jesus said, you're great weather people, but not very good prophecy people. In other words, they watched for the rain or for the setting of the sun, but they didn't watch for any spiritual signals. Today's technology lets us consult seven-day forecasts with reasonable accuracy. Doctors can predict that certain diseases may occur even before they manifest themselves. But all the while, we are remarkably blind to the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're hypnotized by the rhythm of life as if this moment has no bearing on eternity and everything is going to continue to be the same as it always has been. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but there's a Southern Baptist evangelist by the name of Vance Havner. He's not with us anymore. He's in heaven. He wrote an incredible book toward the end of his life, and here was the title of the book, Lord, Get Me Home Before the Dark. And he always had a clever way of saying things. Here's what he wrote about the time in which we live. He says, the devil has chloroformed the atmosphere of this age. 
Therefore, in view of the sure promises of Christ's return as believers, we are to do more than merely be ready. We're to be expectant. In our day of anarchy, apostasy, and apathy, we need to take down our do not disturb signs, snap out of our stupor, come out of our coma, and awake from our sleep. In other words, he's saying we need to get aware of what's going on and don't just say, yeah, prophecy's good. Jesus is coming back someday, so let's get on. Uh, what, what ball game are we going to watch tonight, you know? Some people laugh at the very thought of the Bible predicting the future. Scoffers who would come in the last day saying, where's the coming of the Lord? Since from the beginning, people have been talking about the coming of the Lord, and he hasn't come yet. No matter what others may ever think, no matter what theologians may write, no matter how much the skeptics doubt, ladies and gentlemen, the return of Christ to this earth is certain. It is going to happen. I can't tell you when. I'm not even going to attempt to do that. Not only is the Lord's coming certain, but according to Paul, it is imminent. And do this, he wrote, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Listen to those words. When I use the word eminent, I am not using a calendar word. I am not setting a date for the Lord's return. Eminence does not mean immediate. It simply means that something could happen at any moment and that nothing has to occur before that moment takes place. If we understand the proper meaning of that word, we will realize that the the, the coming of Christ could have been just as eminent in the first century as it is today. As we learn from the pronouns that the men used, they thought Jesus was coming in their lifetime. Now the way Paul expressed this truth about our Lord's return in this passage causes some confusion. Did you hear the verse? For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you want a good answer for those who ask you when the Lord's coming back, there it is. Somebody said, do you know when Jesus is coming back? Yeah, I do. It's sooner than when I first believed. He's coming back sooner than when I became a Christian. You will always be right if you say that. You don't have to worry about anybody contradicting you. That's a perfect answer. But what did Paul mean when he said our salvation is nearer than when we believed? I mean, after all, isn't our salvation in the past? When Paul uses the word salvation here, he was seeing that concept in its completeness, in its fullness. For instance, the moment we say yes to Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and our sins are washed away and we are saved. The next thing that happens is we begin to grow and be conformed uh, spiritual molecule by spiritual molecule to the image of Christ. We become more like Christ. We are being sanctified. That's what that means, to be made holy. And then ultimately, when we stand before the Lord someday, we'll be made perfect and set free of every sin. Here's a good way to remember this. There's three tenses to salvation. Listen carefully. Past, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present, I am being saved from the power of sin. Future, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Salvation, past, present, and future. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. Sanctification teaches us how to be victorious in our life. 
But ultimately, one day when I stand before the Lord, there will be no sin in heaven. There will be no presence of sin. I will be saved from the presence of sin. And my salvation at that moment will be complete when Jesus takes me to himself. Now, Paul is saying that that part of our salvation, when we are freed from the very presence of sin, when we stand in the presence of the Lord, that part of our salvation is nearer than when we believe. He was saying he's coming back and his coming is nearer than when you became a Christian. I mean, that might not mean anything to you, but it tells us this is a moving target. We don't know when it is. I think I'm going to be around when it happens. I hope you are. I tell everybody, I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker, right? <laughs> Aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I think we all agree about that. We, we, yeah, we vote for the rapture, right? <laughs> Charles Spurgeon used to preach to Victorian England about the problem of apathy in his day, and he made a point that I will not soon forget. Listen to this. He said, we need to remember that we can sleep, but we cannot induce the devil to close his eyes. The prince of the power of the air keeps his servants well up to their work, he wrote. If we could see the activities of the servants of Satan, we would be astonished at our own sluggishness and how we take everything for granted. They're out there trying to destroy us and we're just kind of floating along. The whole purpose of the rapture is to inject into our spirit a sense of urgency to take it seriously. This is not just about knowing more about what's going to happen in the future. It's knowing what's going to happen in the future so we can get our act together now, so we can start living with a little more concern about what's going to happen. We are to watch vigilantly. And then the Bible says we're to war valiantly. Verse 12. I know watching can feel like a relatively passive thing, like watching paint dry. But Paul had other plans and other priorities in mind for his followers. He said, listen to this, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What are you saying is, listen, this stuff is going to happen we've been talking about, but don't get caught up out there. Remember what that's teaching us is we've got to make some changes now. We've got to look at our own lives and realize if you knew Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, what would you have to do today to be sure you wouldn't get embarrassed when he showed up? First of all, Paul told the Romans to put off darkness. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. When Paul tells us to put off darkness, he chose a decisive verb. It means to deliberately, purposefully, significantly, and permanently put aside the things of darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever discovered this, but darkness is a term used often in Scripture to describe the life that we lived before Christ came into our lives. Ephesians 5.8, for instance, says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. Paul tells us that since our Lord's return is coming, we should not let the old nature have any inroad into our life. We should not let the darkness back in the door. He is warning us that while Christ is accepted in a moment, Sin remains our foe for a lifetime. 
Many followers of Christ are really surprised to discover that when they become Christians, their old nature doesn't go away. Maybe you're among those who think when you got saved, your old nature was eradicated. But if you believe that, ask your spouse. (laughs) How many of you know that we become Christians, but we still struggle with sin because we used to have just an old nature and we couldn't do anything but sin. But when we became Christians, we got the Holy Spirit and we now have a new nature and we have two natures within us. We still carry the desire often to sin, which is necessary for us to fight against. We have to work against the things that Satan wants to do to destroy us. And uh, there's a wonderful little poem that I've quoted many times over the years of my ministry that more than anything else helps me to understand it. Here's how it goes. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, and the one I feed will dominate. Isn't that interesting? You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what does that mean? How do you feed the new nature? You feed the new nature by reading the Bible, going to your church, most of all, get in a small group. In a small group, you can process the information that you hear on Sunday. You come together around the truth. It's a very powerful way if you really work hard at it. But Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, you still have the old nature and you need to put off the darkness. You know, there's no such thing as darkness. Did you know that? Darkness is just the description of the absence of light. There's no such commodity as darkness. All darkness is is a place where there's no light. When light comes, darkness goes away. And then that helps us to understand his next comment. He says, put off the darkness and put on the light. Paul's second command is even more positive. When we are told to put on the light, he is using the New Testament picture for walking in fellowship with Jesus. John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You know, I often pray at the end of the services on Sunday before we leave the building, a prayer something like this, Lord, help us to take the influence of Jesus with us this week wherever we go. We have to make sure that we understand that wherever we go, we're to take the light of Jesus. We're to take the gospel that we have in our spirit And we're to make that a part of that. I had breakfast with Pastor Tim from the church here in New York. And you know what? The guy who waited on us, he asked this guy, do you go to church? (laughs) He says, well, no. He says, I'm kind of Muslim. He said, I don't go to church much. He said, well, you should come to church. He said, my church is right over here. I'll tell you what, if you come to church, I'll make the tip a lot bigger. (laughs) And when we got done, the guy came up to me and said, I'll see you in church on Sunday. You know, that used to be kind of a common thing. You know what? We've gotten away from that. We don't have any boldness now about bringing Jesus into our situation. And Paul said, because Jesus is coming back, get off your hands, quit being so cautious, and take some chances for the Lord. Ask some people if they know Jesus. We're to watch vigilantly. He's coming back. We're to war valiantly against the evil in our system and live in the light, not in the darkness. Here's the third thing. We're to walk virtuously. 
Let us walk properly, verse 13 says, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And I hate to tell you this, but these words were addressed to Christians. He's not writing this to pagans. He's writing this to the Roman Christians. And he's saying to them, don't do these six things. These six listed sins here fall into two categories. The first three have to do with public disgrace, revelry, drunkenness, lewdness. And the last three have to do with sins that can hide in the human heart before they are manifest in the light of day. All of them are understood to be sins of the night and opposed to what you are as a Christian. The things that he lists in this paragraph have no place in the life of a Christian. And you know what? We're living in a time when that's kind of not really understood. I preach on stewardship every year during the month of January. And I don't really care too much what people think about it. I just do it. I try to tell them I'm going to make something that's threatening, thrilling. And I do. I try to teach them what a joy it is to give to the Lord. And encourage them, if they haven't been tithing, to tithe. So this last year, there's a little restaurant not around the corner from our church. I sometimes go in there for coffee in the morning. And I walk in, and I'll be honest with you, I don't sit in a booth because if I do... People come and sit in the booth, and I can't eat my breakfast, and they talk to them. I sit at the counter, because you're just one-on-one with the counter. No, you're not. I went in and sat down by this couple, and the guy, when I sat down, he said, Pastor Jeremiah, we're so glad you came. We got some questions. It's Monday morning. I just preached three sermons. I'm tired. I don't have time for, okay, whatever it is. And he wanted to know something about tithing and He started to talk to me. There was a woman there with him. And he said, we have a lot of questions we're trying to sort through. We're thinking about getting married. And I don't even know why I said that. I said, well, you probably should because more than likely you're living together, right? And he goes, oh my, yeah. (laughs) I said, well, let me tell you something. Tithing is important, but you need to get married and then start tithing. And he just looked at me like, are you kidding me? And we had an event in our church about a month later where we all were outside and everybody was out there in fellowship. And they came up to Donna and me and all he said was, Pastor, I got married and we're tithing. (laughs) Here's the deal, you guys. We can't play around with this like we have in the past. We can't just say, well, maybe they'll get it right. We have to be willing to call things out when we see them that are wrong. We don't need to be mean-spirited about it. But if you have people that you know who aren't Christians and they want to be included in the fellowship of the saints, they need to get their act together. They need to start living for God. What fellowship does light have with darkness? None. We can't make an impact on this dark world if we're as dark as the world is. And So you've got to win them to something. Amen? So... 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night. We are not of the darkness. We are not. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible calls us to holiness. It calls us to a certain way to walk, a certain way to live. We're not only to reject public sins, but we're to renounce the private ones as well. 
And friends, when we really understand the impact of the gospel, of heaven, of the rapture, it has a purifying effect upon us. We want to live uh, worthy of what God is doing for us. We're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But we should ask God to help us to live lives that are righteous and to be the kind of people that reflect his goodness and his holiness so that when others see us, they see him. And I hope you're doing that. Maybe you're involved right now in an affair, something you shouldn't be involved in. Maybe you're involved in some business deal you know is dishonest. If you really want the joy of the Lord in your life, you need to get rid of that. You need to get past that. You need to stop what you're doing, ask God to forgive you, make things right, and start walking with the Lord and start living like you were dying. Part two of all of this tomorrow, right here on This Good Station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Great Disappearance, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new hardcover book, The Great Disappearance. 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready, Informative and Inspiring. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Here's the funniest definition of opera I've ever read. Ed Gardner wrote that opera is when a guy gets stabbed in the back and instead of bleeding, he sings. 
I guess I've never thought of it that way, but my slight exposure to opera confirms that singing is the basic response to every situation that occurs, regardless of how painful. The Bible suggests an equally unnatural response to life circumstances, even the most painful ones. The Apostle Paul wrote that we should give thanks in all things because we know that God loves us and will use whatever happens for His good purposes in our life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to be grateful on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.